G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit braised device. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast. We don't ask for much in return, but we're incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcast or Acast and leave us a review. Obviously, a five-star review would be great, um, but we really appreciate a moment of your time to, take, to uh, leave us a review. So joining uh, Brian and myself actually in the studio, which is quite good because we spent a bit of time uh, vacuuming uh, it, uh, we're joined by the one wonderful uh, Linda Rutherford, who is one of our senior lecturers here in soft tissue surgery at the Royal Vet College um, and uh, head of the soft tissue surgery service. And we thought we'd chat about um, what to do with ureteric issues, I suppose, as a, as a general, in a, in a surgery sense. So we, we, we've spoken before about managing block cats and, um, and uh, I suppose, the demographic of the population about it. But we thought, oh, actually, what do you do when what what is what is Linda's approach when uh, um, when we get stuck? Yeah. So thank you very you much for joining them. us. Yes, exactly. We've spoken on a previous sort of podcast about like how like the initial sort of management here, uh, we have for um, uh, these these cats. But I suppose when the question that I really have to you to start straight into it, uh, Linda, is is what what do you do when you when we can't actually pass a um, a retrograde urinary catheter into a cat. So, so how do you sort of decide of a of a of a plan to do that? And and if we, if say we're trying, if if the patient say does have a urethrum, for example, that we we're, uh, we might be able to establish urinary drainage another way by putting in a um, uh, abdominal drain, for example. But what what's what do you what do you think? Does it? And so this is for like an FOUTD. Yeah. Yeah. Or calculate. Yeah. How about we say for a start? Oh yeah. Yeah. Urinary tract obstruction. Maybe there's a ureteric stain, or we think there's a stain. Rather than the traumatic. Yeah. We'll speak about the traumatic in a bit. Okay. Um, So yeah. So I suppose. Yeah. You just need to really concentrate on some imaging so that you know is there a stone or not because that's going to affect your decision making. So I think the. retrograde contrast study is really the thing to do um, to have a good look at the lower urinary tract um, and you want to make sure that your catheter is really distal and ideally you take an image when you're actually injecting the contrast so the ureter is maximally dilated so um, you know put a lead gown and have someone else taking the image for you or if you have fluorography that's really helpful so you've got a moving um, image and then um, if um, it were, there was a stone stuck, um, I guess we really, really try to retrohydropulse them and we use a lot of force, you know, like as much pressure that you can put on that catheter as possible um, to get the stone to move. And, and often we can get them to successfully move. Um, and I suppose like as a surgeon, we're also able to then, if we did make an iatrogenic tear or something like that, like deal with those consequences or we would know how to fix those a little bit better. So really our first aim is to get the um, urethra clear. Um, so you could ask with, with that yeah. scenario, so obviously a patient be um, uh, anaesthetised. Yes, would you, definitely would you, go, would you go straight to contrast would you use like would you use air first you, oh yeah you... so i think if we're looking at the urethra and you know that you can't get the you're getting the catheter into a certain place and then it's not going any further you actually want to use contrast because you'll be able to see like it you know it should highlight a filling deficit around the little stone 
But um, if you were interested in the bladder, that's when they would do a pneumocystogram first. Uh, but that would be, you know, normally you can place a catheter to do a pneumocystogram. So that would be if you're thinking that there's some issue with the bladder wall, like it's thickened or there's a polyp or something. That's when you do a double contrast study. And with the pressure, do you yeah. put on tea, is that where you use sort of the, the um, tongue forceps, oh, is that yeah. what they're called? Or do you have any, <laughs> do you have any special um, tools that you yeah. use? So for a cat, so cat, cats are a bit different for dogs for the um, retrograde study. So I guess a really um, top tip, I don't know if you guys do this, but you know when you're trying to place a urethral catheter, do you put an Alice tissue forceps on basically where the prep use is just reflected and then joins the penis. You can put one on the prep use, really, really make that clear, not on the penis. And then you can use that to pull the penis straight in a cat. So then it's much easier to place the catheter. Do you do that? So, sometimes, sometimes. Oh, I find that like really, really helpful. So that would be my top tip for a cat. And then um, you can use the tongue depressor forceps. So they are the ones that have got the big rubber bits so they shouldn't really damage the tissue you would sort of put that over the end of the penis with the catheter poking out of the urethra um so that would be to create a seal so that you can do the contrast study and then i suppose for the retrohydropulsion you probably don't need um it's good to keep everything straight so you can keep your alice tissue on and whilst it sounds quite traumatic as long as it's just on that little reflection so it's sort of on the propitial skin it doesn't damage anything and it's better than repeatedly grabbing uh grabbing the penis and traumatizing it and um so then if you're trying to retrohydropulse, I suppose like it's good to, you know, have lots of lubrication and then um, you can do the trick of, you know, someone doing a rectal exam and placing their finger behind the stone, building up pressure and probably try and use maybe in a dog 50 mil syringe, but maybe a cat like a 20 mil syringe and just really try and inject it inject it in under pressure okay thank yeah. you that's that's, that's good. No, good 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 tips for sure and i suppose with flutd it's more likely that you can place a catheter but it's had a repeated obstruction so we'd still think that the positive contrast imaging is still really really helpful because you basically want to see is there something a filling defect in the urethra in that you know there's become a stricture because of repeated catheterizations or you know trauma to it or if it but if it's the repeated spasming i think these ones you normally always can catheterize them for a period of time i haven't come across one where we haven't been able to but then i suppose the decision making is is there damage to the urethra um and would that affect where i would do my urethrostomy because normally for straightforward flutd so repeated um obstructions you can just do a perineal urethrostomy so just removing that very narrow tip does that make sense yeah and so, if you if you're unable to to um, to hydropulse, so say there yep. is a stain, then, then yep. what what would you consider the next thing that you would do? So, say you've given it a good go with all your yeah. all your tips and tricks, and you're not um, not there. Yeah. So often we can move them, I think. But um, say if there's a stricture, like, and you just can't get anything past that, then you have to create urinary diversion. So usually at that stage, we would want to place a cystostomy tube. And that's when the traumatic ones are a little bit different because it depends um, how much trauma you think there is to the urethra in that do you think do you think it might heal given time and you're in a urinary diversion or do you think it's a complete avulsion? I know we'll talk about that later. So then, um, yeah, that would affect your decision-making. But I suppose for a stone, you absolutely can't move it. 
it depends on the time frame as well. Like, say, if you're in the middle of the night, you want to just probably do something to divert the urine. In the, at this stage, I suppose assistocentesis might be appropriate as a if you're going to then operate on the cat the next day. And then it would depend where it was stuck as to what surgery is, you know, indicated. And, and so with that, that moving on from that, because we're talking about a stain, but say yeah. if it was trauma, do you, do you approach that the same way? So would you put contrast in initially? Yeah. So it's still Definitely. the same idea, you're trying yeah. to have a look at yeah. where... And the traumatic ones, it really makes sense to do contrast because actually you just need to know like where the injury is because that's going to totally affect your decision making. And so how how does that then affect your decision making? So if you, so I suppose there's, when we we spoke a little bit um, before, so I suppose when we're talking about trauma, I suppose there are two types of trauma that we're thinking about. We're thinking about one that's being blunt force trauma, so he's hit by a car or something Mm -hmm. like that. And pelvic fractures causing a urethral tear. So they are often, that's what happens. So they have the pubic fractures, which orthopedically we don't need to do anything about, but often then they've lacerated the urethra. And then there'd be iatrogenic. So someone, yeah. you, you try to have a go to unblock the yeah. cat and then you, you can't get anywhere or you've yeah. damaged the urethra in, in doing that. So, yeah. so do you have a different approach when you're putting contrast in for those? No, like actually... Um, you know, just you just need to know where the tear is. And I guess from the contrast study, you also get an impression of the magnitude of the tear because sometimes you can see a little bit of contrast, you know, um, basically snaking forward, getting into the proximal urethra and the bladder, and then you see a small wisp coming out of the tear. Sometimes you can see that there's huge damage. There's no contrast going cranial and everything's just leaking out like as, a, as an explosion from wherever the tear is. So then... If it were the little, a small leak, you're going to manage that a little bit differently because you're probably going to think, oh, that might heal um, if I can place a catheter or it might even heal with a cystostomy tube if I've given it enough time. Um, Whereas the one that there's just a massive leak, um, you're going to probably end up doing some sort of resection astomosis or urethrostomy for that one can, can you repair cat's ureters sorry urethras can, yeah. you, can you repair them? yeah yeah so there's yeah. that one that you um, mentioned before I, I can't remember if this is in the recording but the basically separation of the bladder from the urethra those ones um, are really nice so you basically um, do uh, like an anastomosis over a catheter so surgically and we can do that all the way along and um, you might need to cut the pubis for access but yeah um they they can work really well. The main issue with that is healing with a stricture. So they would heal too narrow to be functional. But that's quite rare, I think. And, and so then when you're, when you're um, t- putting contrast and say you've got a leak in a, in a traumatic uh, urethral tear, would, would you then try and pl- try and see if you can place a urinary catheter yep. under fluoroscopy or under, under yeah. radiography? So you, you want to try and see yes. if you can put the tip of that catheter in the bladder regardless yep. of how you're going to manage the patient well so if you can place a urethral catheter then actually one of the options which is a good a really good one is to um basically use the catheter like a little stent and allow the urethra to heal um but for those cases you have to provide urinary diversion as well so there's a a bit of debate amongst surgeons about what you would actually do so my preference would be to place a cystostomy tube even if I can place a urethral catheter because I think the urethral catheters are quite hard to keep in long term and um, there's some evidence as well to say that they cause inflammation of the urethra so 
it's a bit anecdotal, but like, would those ones be more likely to develop a stricture if you keep the catheter in for like full 10 days, which would be the time that you would expect the urethra to heal over? So I do, if I can place a catheter, then I, I um, think, oh, it mustn't be a complete avulsion, a complete tear, because I've managed to somehow get my catheter into the bladder. So if that's the case, then I'll be very likely to give that patient some time with urinary diversion. So then... Um, when it's still anaesthetised, I would quickly go and place a cystostomy tube, which are actually like really easy to place. Um, and um, Richard actually, when he was a resident, wrote an in-practice, and it's got really nice step-by-step guides. Richard Meeson, um, I think it was for managing tail pull injuries. So I'd place a cystostomy tube, leave the urethral catheter in place for probably three or four, well, two to three days, keep... Um, using the cystostomy tube for urinary tract diversion and then after about 10 days maybe very very minimum a week repeat the contrast study to see how the urethra was healing sometimes it's healed completely by then sometimes you can see a little wispy leak and then you may choose to um, you know, repeat in another week or something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking, do, do you mind um, uh, maybe quickly running through like how you'd place this oh, cystostomy yeah. tube? Is that yeah. right? Oh, yeah, of course. So obviously there's always more than one way of doing it. But I like to just do a caudal um, midline like celiotomy. So just a little bit um, caudal to the umbilicus and maybe... I don't know, about three or four centimetres, and then access the bladder there. I think just because you're so familiar doing that approach, it's the easiest. You can do um, a like, more lateral approach. Um, then you basically want to make sure that the bladder is in a normal position so you haven't accidentally rotated it and, you know, done anything bad to the um, ureters. And um, you ideally want to use something called the mushroom-tipped pezzas. Um, well, actually, no, not ideally. Um, or you could just use a normal Foley catheter. Um, there's advantages of either. Um, so then you basically want to um, put your catheter through the body wall. So, you know, use a hemostat, tent the wall up, cut down, and then pull the catheter through, as you would be for placing any drain. Then you want to put, um, try and sort of, you want to put the bladder to the body wall fairly caudally, so that even when the bladder's empty, you're not really stretching it. Um, and then you basically want to um, put a purse string suture in the bladder wall, then make a stab incision with your 11 blade and then insert whichever catheter you're going to use through the bladder wall, pull the purse string and tie it. And then we do something called a box pexy. So we um, anchor the bladder to the body wall with sutures as well. So you're less likely to get a uroabdomen with that technique. So you basically would use something like PDS, um, like two knot or three knot and take a bite of the body wall so it's a type of um, horizontal mattress take a bite of the body wall then take a full thickness bite of the bladder and tie that suture and if you imagine that your tube is in the middle you want to do four sutures in a little square around it and then that will create your pexy um, and then you just want to sort of amentalise it so put the amentum around that area and um, you can close your midline um, and then put some sort of friction suture from the body wall to the tube. So the Foley catheters are great because um, they're easy to remove. All you have to do is deflate the bulb, cut the um, friction suture and pull it out. 
but you need to be careful when you're placing the box suture. You need to make sure the bulb is well away from them. It's really easy to accidentally, you know, put your needle through the bulb. So you you might choose to not inflate the bulb, but push it sort of further away. Put the sutures, then inflate the bulb. And um, you need to make sure that people don't deflate the bulb accidentally. That's definitely happened before. Um, and then the other thing that can go a bit wrong is you can accidentally grab a bit of the tube with your suture. So even with a Foley, um, when you come to remove it, obviously make sure it's complete and you haven't left a bit in the bladder. The mushroom tip pezzas um, are uh, more rigid and they have that little um, sort of tip that's always there. So they're, I guess, a little bit harder to remove. Like you might need to sedate them um, and um, I, this, I don't have any evidence, but I feel like it might be more likely to leave a bit in the bladder that you'd need to do surgery for. But they're less likely to fall out or accidentally get removed if someone deflates the bulb. And is it the same thing, forgive my ignorance, as, a, as a, if you were um, doing a gastropexy that you, you're creating a stamus? So, yeah. so if you, you need to leave it in for yeah. a certain amount of yeah. days and then actually when you pull it out, yeah. you... you you don't need to do anything. Yeah, exactly that, the same. Right? So, um, yeah, that's a really good um, point. So you need to leave it, I think, seven days is the absolute minimum, but I always do 10 days yep. minimum. And then basically there should be a mature stoma between the bladder or stomach and the body wall. So then you just remove the tube and you actually leave it open. So there'll be like a little bit of discharge for maybe a couple of days, but it seals over really quickly. If the patient or it accidentally gets removed beforehand, you just need to really monitor them carefully for your abdomen. And do you find, so if you're intimately draining the cystostomy tube, so to some patients, do, do you, I suppose, what, what's my question, do you want them to be able to urinate if they can, or do you want to try and avoid that? Oh, so it really depends on the situation. Mm. So the tubes are great because you can actually, especially for like tail pulls, like I mentioned, you can send them home and owners can use them and they're quite easy. Um, so... If you were managing a urethral tear, you don't probably want them to use their urethra for the 10 days. So you want to probably keep them on continuous drainage, whether you send them home with a urinary bag or whether you manage them in the hospital, I think is a discussion to have with the owner. And some owners will actually want you to just keep them in. And to be fair, like we often keep them in for the 10 days. And, um, you know, seems that seems fine and tolerated well by owners. Um, And I, I suppose, yeah, because you really don't want that bladder to fill up. Now, they they can absolutely still urinate um, with a cystostomy tube in place. And sometimes because if there's lots of inflammation, they will have like strangurea sort of cystitis signs. So sometimes despite having um, continuous drainage, there might be like a few little drops placed by the urethra. But yeah, ideally, you don't want them to use... Uh, use the urethra I think for that time and, and you said about the, the time frame about rechecking whether that's sort of um, you know at least not, not not earlier than a week but maybe 10 days or yeah. or, uh, or a bit longer than than that so so it does when you repeat that imaging sort of process then does that make you think things are going to improve or not so are you looking yeah. for um so what happens if i suppose if you still see a wisp of of, yeah. uh, of of leakage at that time do you just leave things longer it just it just i guess again depends on the location and the cause of the tear so i think if you're seeing a huge leak you would you would have uh, probably attempted some sort of surgery to repair 
initially when you're placing the cystostomy tube. If it wasn't a very big leak and you're giving it time, it would depend if you thought there'd been progression. So if it was looking way better and there was hardly any fluid leaking, you would probably give it time. Um, if it was just the same at that stage, then you might think, OK, we need to do something about this. And then I guess, so for decision making for ure urethrostomy, it depends where it is along the urethra as to which surgery you would do and how, you know, the sort of risks of each surgery are slightly different. So the closer it is to the bladder, there's an increased risk of incontinence and ascending infection. So I suppose ideally you would always try to give them some time to see if, if you know, you've got a longer length of urethra so you could do the urethrostomy further away if that makes sense. And the other thing we have to think about the, about the traumatic cases are if they've got um, like skin damage because you don't want to do your definitive urethrostomy surgery if there's a risk of ischemia or infection, you know, if they've got wounds or anything like grazes or anything like that. And the other thing to think about is if they've had um, urinary leakage, you know, sometimes they have that horrible, horrible perineal bruising. You don't want to do a urethrostomy with that because again, you're, you're more likely to run in comp into complications. So it might be that you're actually waiting until the skin looks good before you can do your definitive surgery. And, be and bear in mind, um, uh, notwithstanding sort of other injuries or other damage in a traumatic sense, do you, do you often um, put these cats on antimicrobials or not at all? Oh yeah, so we'd really try not to and the reason being is they're definitely going to get a UTI when they've got the tube in place so we know that if we looked at the bacteria, uh, the urine we would definitely see bacteria and um, I, um, this is probably like my personal approach but I think it's in line with what everyone does at the RVC. Um, essentially you want to um, wait until you've taken the tube out to then culture and then do targeted anti antibiotics um, but if they are really clinical so they're showing really you know horrible strangurea like they may be systemically unwell off their food a bit pyrexic or um, seem really uncomfortable then we would treat them with antibiotics but I suppose the UTI isn't going to go away when the tube's in place so you're just increasing the resistance profile of the bacteria and making it harder to treat. So, yeah, so we we may choose to use perioperative antibiotics, you know, just for that dose before we start the surgery, but then stop, ideally, until they become really clinical. Um, and do, do you do any, or suggest sort of any care of that cystostomy mm. tube? Like, do you clean that with a chlorhexidine or anything like that? Just out of interest. Um, so you, if they go home or in the hospital, usually we just try and keep it covered with uh, like a little prim pour and um, obviously really make sure the patient can't lick it or sort of interfere with it. Um, no, I only advise like cleaning if it's licking a bit inflamed. So twice a day, I suppose. And you said um, uh, before, like obviously if you can pass a, a urinary catheter, then that's great and you might want to leave that in for yeah. a few days, but not indefinitely. So is yeah. there... Is, is if you um, are unable to pass a urinary catheter, yeah. do, do you think that do you think that matters on urethral um, healing? You sort of commented a bit about that. There's not. We, we, do we yeah. do we know what's better or? So I think if you can't place the catheter, it's where you're thinking there's probably a much bigger injury because you're unable to place that catheter th through the tear, like over the tear, if you get it. So. 
if you couldn't place a catheter, then you're going to end up probably doing a cystostomy tube anyway. So often at that surgery, what we'll try and do is place an anterior grade or normal grade, maybe normal grade. Normal grade. Yeah, <laughs> a normal grade wire, a hydrophilic wire. So from our little cystostomy hole, try and place one out and then place a catheter over the top of that. And that's a really useful technique and actually pretty helpful. If you can't do that, then you probably thinking there's a really a really substantial tear slash evulsion and then at that stage you probably going to want to explore explore the pelvic region to try and see if you can find the ends and suture it back together over a catheter so that's why I think placing the catheter is quite helpful because it gives you more of an indication about how severe the tear is and whether the tear is something that will heal without surgery. Yeah. Did that answer the question? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, so, as, so I suppose the thinking is, even if you put a cystostomy tube in, if yeah. you can place your catheter, then yeah. then that's great. But yeah. but maybe leave that in for a, for a few days. Sorry yeah. about the door slamming in oh, the background. No. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's definitely something that is always debated. I don't think there's not a right or a wrong answer, and it's one of those things that rounds. Like someone will be like, "Oh, I would leave it for this long. Oh, I would have left it for this long." And I remember not really knowing when I was a resident. And I still don't think there is a right definitive right answer so i think definitely we know that urethral catheters cause inflammation themselves so you know that you don't want to leave it in for a really for the extended period so i normally leave them in for like a couple of days because i think oh maybe they're acting like a sort of a stent and then and then take it out yeah, yeah. but i think um someone that trained not not at the rvc um, used to use the catheters for urinary diversion rather than a cystostomy tube, um, but they did like they did then do that when they were here and this, the catheter got pulled out. So then obviously we ended up having to place a cystostomy tube. So people need anyway. to know why it's in there if you're going to use it for that. I suppose, I suppose yeah. that's a good. So you'd need it in for ten days if you were going to do that because you basically want to sort of stop urine coming down the urethra until you're sort of more sure it's healed so that's why i think the cystostomy tube at the beginning is just a great thing because then you don't need to worry if the catheter's in or out and it gives you time to assess sort of what's what's going on so, yeah, so and we, they're really well tolerated i think and and, uh, and you mentioned before as well about the avulsion so if the the urethra comes off kind of where it joins yeah. onto the so bladder you would definitely obviously you would see that when you're putting placing your cystostomy tube and then those ones the imaging is really quite clear so it goes all the way along the urethra and then it's just like a lovely fan into the abdomen like not going into the bladder at all and are those something that you would you'd fix right there and then when you saw that so you would um it's like slightly challenging because you've got this little bladder hopefully it's attached with the lateral ligaments otherwise you're in real trouble um but it's really hard to see like where the actual urethra end is if you can imagine that because it's like a sort of popped balloon isn't it mm. it's all shriveled and like there's a big hematoma so actually placing a hydrophilic wire out through the bladder is really helpful to identify sort of the um uh, urethral stump and then usually you have to do quite a lot of dissecting into the pelvic canal to like bring that forward because obviously it's retracted back so sometimes you have to do um a pelvic split so i suppose that's something that you might not want to get into in the middle of the night and it also might not be in your skill set if you're a referring vet so in that 
case, even if you saw the urethra was completely evolved, it would be appropriate and fine, I think, to place a cystostomy tube as an emergency surgery, then give that patient time to recover and stabilise and refer if you needed to, and then someone could go and do the definitive repair. And, and when you talk about as well, so where, wherever the, say, a stain is or stricture might form about yeah. then deciding about where um, to do a definitive surgery, so if you were yeah. doing a, a urethrostomy, so, so how long would you wait to make that decision, like, I suppose, and does it depend on... Because yeah. um, I know it's always a, a user-pay system, isn't it? Does that... does does that have a factor on it if someone's more, I suppose, cost constrained to make a decision or do you do you actually want to wait as long as you can because oh, yeah. you want to see if things heal as well, much as they can? No, I think that's a really good question and it's probably going to be different. Um, like, so if we've got, we think we're getting a stricture because of previous um, stones, but we've managed to like clear the stones, then often we will give that patient a period of time because we we can't tell from the imaging and clinically if it's urethritis so just lots of inflammation and maybe it will get better with anti-inflammatories in time so i would say you probably want to give them about 10 days as well and it depends if it was a really quite severe and they weren't urinating i would place a cystostomy tube then give them time um at home and the owner could do intermittent drainage for them like three or four times a day would be fine. And then um, repeat the contrast study. Then at that stage, 10 days later, you're either going to see like a lovely column going up your urethra and getting into the bladder and it's fine. Or it's you know going to be the same as the previous image. So then you would be able to more definitively say it's looking like a stricture because there's this filling defect. It's in the same location. The urethra is really narrow at that point. Or it's just going to go nowhere, which I've seen as well. So it's basically continued to stricture and scar down so the contrast can't go anywhere. And the nice thing that you could do with that, if you had a cystostomy tube in, is then you could do normal grade study from the bladder. So basically put contrast through your cystostomy tube and then fill the bladder and then wait for it to go down the urethra. And actually, normally it does that fine because you always think, oh, am I going to have to sort of partially express the bladder? you might have to but often the contrast moves down when when they're sedated or anesthetized anyway so you're going to then know exactly where your stricture is and how big it is how long it is i suppose if you've done a retrograde and a normal grade you'll see a gap very good and and are you um so with regard to sort of making these decisions do you in your experience if this right with with trauma you give more time to to heal or if strixes are formed with stains are they more problematic that you think you need to do more definitive surgery so i suppose it would depend uh, yeah on the time frame so you know like if you've you've had a case and you've known that it's had stones and then they either have gone home and urinated fine for a period of time but then started with strangurea again i suppose you're going to know um, whether that's getting worse um, or if it's responded, I guess, to non-steroidals. And if, if it's getting worse, then um, you can either do that plan of giving giving the 10 days um, or, um, yeah, I suppose you sort of probably need two time points to say it's definitively a stricture rather than it's just urethritis. And so I always roughly do 10 days to two weeks. Um, I think that answered so the trauma ones yeah I think again you want to leave it that time period and then you basically want to assess does it is it looking better so shall I leave it longer is it looking the same and if it's looking the same maybe just cut to the cut to surgery
Sí. Call the surgeon. Sí, sí, always the best way. Um, sí, it, so it's been, it, a lot of what you're saying is like give, give, to give time, and and so sesame tube sort of buys you a lot of time, right, to, to yeah. make a decision, and, yeah. and and actually even however badly damaged the urethra yeah. is, yeah. if you place this sesame tube, then actually you, you're good for a while to to at least yeah. ask someone else to maybe Gosh. have a look at it yeah. or. To, to try and sort out the urethra. Yeah, or even if the person needed to save up some money or something, you know, like I definitely, because it's a salvage surgery, as long as you've done something to make that patient stable and be able to wait, then you, you can wait. You're not going to be in a worse position because you've, you know, waited four weeks instead of two. Mm. And when you talk about with the, with the pelvic fractures as well, so with that particular type of, of trauma, if they've, if they've damaged their urethra, um, would you before like making any definitive idea about surgery would you want the the bones to have healed would you wait oh no, no. <laughs> they take no. ages i don't <laughs> think sometimes they even heal that well you know because it's very it's, it's not weight-bearing access so it's really rare that anything will be done for the pubic fractures one of the things that i slightly worry about and i don't really have an answer for this is if it's still like a sharp edge bone like might it make another urethral tear i haven't seen that and i suppose it they're probably they still have lots and lots of muscular attachments so they're probably fairly stable at normal physiologic like walking and stuff it would just be if they had another big trauma and the bone fragment moved i suppose thinking about it now very good and and do you is there any um type of uh i suppose like traumatic or or this type of surgery that you you are um worried about whether the the patient's going to actually have normal function again or be be functional again are there any 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 cases Um, where you would look at and think i'm very concerned that we're not going to be continent or i suppose so the tail pull ones they are really i don't think that they i can't think of a one that i've had that's had a tail pull and a urethral tear so usually they're the ones though that we just managed with the cystostomy tubes to see if they regain continence. Certainly, so for the urethrostomies, there's different locations depending if you're a cat or a dog. So for a cat, the perineal urethrostomy, just removing sort of the penis is the most common one for FLUTD because that's where it's really narrow and um, where it's strictures to. Then normally for um, the traumatic ones and even the iatrogenic tears, it's it's in the um, pelvic urethra. So if you can imagine, because um, the urethra is passing over the pubis, that's quite a common area for the catheter to accidentally go through the urethra. So they're a little bit frustrating because... Um, if they haven't healed and you have to do urethrostomy, you have to do something called transitional urethrostomy. So you're basically trying to leave as long a urethra as you can and you need to remove some of the ischium and basically tunnel it out. And it is a, it is a good surgery as in they have good, good results, just like a little bit more fiddly. Then if you... Um, the next one is prepubic, so that's basically where you're um, in front of the pubis, um, and there's varying degrees of that because it would depend where your injury was. It's quite um, daunting when you do that surgery because you have to cut the urethra so that you can bring it out where, where whichever location you're going to do it to, and obviously once you cut it, it always retracts. So if you had hardly any urethra, you would the increase there's an increased risk of incontinence. So the shorter the urethra, the increased risk of incontinence. So definitely for prepubic ones, you would have to say, like, there is a chance. Thankfully, I think all the cats 
uh, that I've done them on have been consonant. But I think it's something like a 20% complication rate. And so that's for like um, peristomal dermatitis, ascending UTIs and incontinence, like sort of all grouped together. So it's definitely not without risk. But um, definitely for the um, transitional and um, like in the dogs, the scrotal urethrostomy or whatever, I definitely wouldn't hesitate to do it if my own pet needed one, as in I think they're really good. They often do really, really well and are just like normal once it's healed and I think they have a really great quality of life. But it's one of those things that's sometimes really hard for owners to get their head around, especially male dog owners. Yeah. Fair enough. As in because they think we like... Different. ...making him a different gender. <laughs> different hole. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, but everything's still in the same place. Yeah. But it's, it's really quite interesting. I, I, I suppose um, looking at it from a different side, I suppose more like the stabilisation and, and how to establish urinary drainage is, I suppose, what I thought's quite... Uh, or very interesting is about the you know get a cystostomy tube in to establish urine drainage another way which is um which which, which is great which is really what what yeah. you need and give give things a bit of bit of time i just think it's, um, they're much easier to manage than a urethral catheter yeah, yeah and they don't seem to be irritated by them whereas i get the impression that they sort of become bothered by urethral catheters and i, and I think that's it I suppose a separate um, point that we don't know when I've been speaking to a couple of um, uh, people before about you know how long should urine catheter be in place that we yeah. think a, you know there's like a day maybe because you you know because there is a bit of information to begin with but as you said that that catheter is going to cause some information ongoing so there's going to yeah. be a point where we're actually having something there is going to cause a problem in itself isn't it and we don't we just yeah. don't know no I don't think it's and it's probably not going to be easy to to know because <laughs> you'd be like did it get a stricture because the catheter was there or did it get a stricture you know because it was going to get one anyway is, is there anything um that you would have liked to know about this type of surgery before um or, or that you know now that you um you wish you could tell yourself 10 years ago um well i think it's definitely all about owner communication and letting them know like what the plan is and what the different options are because obviously you're not going to know that definitive plan at the beginning and explaining to them I think why it's important to give them time and then what the different you know there's normally like two or three different options depending on what the urethra looks like so I suppose that yeah like being patient and giving things time seems to really help these cases um well, yeah. well, I think um, thank you very much for your time, Linda. I think if you, is there anything else you think you'd like to mention about this subject? Or um, no, I don't. Th- I don't think so. Thank you very much. Um, no, th- thank you so much, Linda, for your time. It's it's great, um, and uh, thank you for listening. So uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device, and that way you don't have to worry about missing a podcast. If you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast, Acast, wherever you get your podcast, that would be great. Don't forget to tell your friends. Uh, we're, we're happy for anyone to listen, and we'll place some show notes on the RVC pages. I'll put that uh, paper that Linda referred to. I think it was um, Meeson and Sandra Cool, wasn't it? It was. Um, and so just uh, type in. RVC Clinical Podcast into your search engine of choice it should be top of the tree so if you have any comments or suggestions please get in touch you can either email or I think we got we could email actually podcast at rvc.ac.uk you weren't thinking about that were you or, or follow us on uh, um, or message us on Instagram so at RVC Clinical Podcast until next time bye bye